When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to Affected by Altitude. Good news, everyone. You are joining us for the past week's recap of Rockies action, transactions, and any other actions you can think of. As always, my name is Mac Wilcox. I'm joined by my two bestest homies, Evan Lang. How's it going? And Skylar Timmons. Greetings, friends. And we are here to give you all the Rockies news you could possibly ask for. This is, of course... Affected by Altitude, which is a podcast hosted by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. We got some fun activities going on this episode. We are going to be discussing a lot of different things from around Rockies culture, such as their most recent road trip. We'll be talking about some injuries, players of the month, of course, and we've got a mailbag. We appreciate everyone that entered in questions for us to answer, so we'll be getting to those here a little bit later on. But to start us off, as we always do, batting leadoff, we always have a bit of an icebreaker, and this one is a two-parter. So as I always say, please let us know on Twitter, uh, on the site, you know, if you have any specific answers to our icebreakers, we always love to hear from you, but this is a two-part icebreaker. I'll start with Skyler this time. So part one is, what is your favorite Rockies jersey or MLB jersey? Answering that. And also, part two is, if you were to be a Major League Baseball player yourself, what number would you be and why? 
Okay, so for that first one, uh, probably one of my favorite Rockies jerseys. I love the purple one, uh, but there's one that they had in like 2010. I just always loved the white vest, white pinstripe vest that they had with the black sleeves that they wear underneath. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about that Rockies jersey that just was always cool to me. Totally. You know, it always looks nice. Uh, plus, you always think back to the cargo walk-off cycle home run. Of so. That's what he was wearing at the time. So I, that one was always cool. Uh, and then for my number, so I would be lucky number 13. Really? Yes. And reason for that is my older brother, who played baseball you know, in high school and in college, uh, his high school number was 13 primarily. And, you know, it was, he was my baseball idol, who's who I learned everything about baseball from. And so then when I got the chance in high school – I, that's the jersey that I tried to get and managed to get at least on varsity from my sophomore year through senior year. I got to wear lucky number thirteen, and so that's wholesome. That's just the that's the the classic jersey, number thirteen. And when, any chance I get, whether the it's like those teams that do this, will make a wallpaper for you. Uh huh. Like a jersey wallpaper, I always try to get one. Timmons thirteen. That's awesome. Or anything. Anytime I play MLB The Show, my creative character is always 13. It's good stuff. It's a good number. That is awesome. What's your brother's name? Dustin. Shouts to Dustin Timmons, man. That's awesome. Keep the family tradition going. That's really cool. What a nice, sweet answer. Evan, what's your uh, answer for both of those questions? So, first of all, I also really, really love those white vests. I wish the Rockies would bring them back in some capacity. Also because like they're impossible to find. I've been trying to get my hands on an authentic one for a really long time. But my favorite has got to be the black vests. Mm. I used to be... My favorite was the purple alternate. But the black vests have just grown on me so much. It's such a uniquely Rockies look. That... Oh, they're just so good. Especially, uh, I think about... Back when they first introduced the black vests, they wore purple undershirts and it looked horrible. That's uh-huh. fun. <laughs> but I love the black vests. I own a black vest that is uh, now been customized for Charlie Blackman, which is awesome. That is it's awesome. Just, it's such a good, unique Rockies look. And then uh, the number that I would wear is 27. Uh there's really not much of a special story behind it or anything. 27 is just my favorite number. Uh, I use it in pretty much everything. Any, uh, any like uh, childhood reasoning for 27 or just kind of always been there? Yeah, just kind of always liked it. That's awesome. Man. But, um, it's the number I wore on my slow pitch softball team. It's the number I always wear for my creative characters in sports games. Just a good number. Plus good Trevor number. story wears it right now, which is awesome. That is awesome. Um, hot take. I agree with you. Also a black jersey guy. I think they're so cool. I think they're so different. Um, but in the interest of also giving a different answer, I love the current home jerseys with the purple pinstripes. I think it's so subtle, but it's just such a nice little uh, eccentricity of the Rockies. Purple's my favorite color. It's been my favorite color forever. Um so get so seeing the purple pinstripes on the Rockies, I think it looks, looks great. But I am also a black vest guy, Lake Heaven man. I think it's such a good look, I'm, and I always remember like the 2017 wearing them. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it is such a cool 
concept. And I know that it's not the most liked jersey by people, but I think it's I think it's great. My number's nine. My number's always been nine. Uh, it was assigned to me like we had like a classroom thing in like third grade, and I was number nine. And I've just always liked it since then. Uh, you know, various players and various teams of various sports have worn nine. They've always been my guy. So yeah, nine will always be not my number. Like one DJ. Connor Lemay, Joe wears number Connor nine. Connor Joe wears number nine, and he's like the most fun player on the team right now. Obviously, DJ LeMahieu. Uh, very, you know, many players throughout the Rockies history have worn nine. So yeah, that's always been mine. Good stuff. I mean, the biggest one is Vinny Castillo. Of course, big cat. Yeah, before I started to watch the Rockies. No, uh, th- that's wrong. Oh, man, really? I would have believed <laughs> Big you. Big Cat is Andres Galarraga. Oh, God. All right, cut. Vinny was Vinny was just Vinny. Evan, go ahead and get your cat to cut that out of this recording, okay? Excellent. <laughs> Moving on Oof. before I embarrass myself. I did want to give a quick shout-out, too, because you're talking about the purple pinch stripes and sort of the, the classic one. Reminds me of a couple jerseys I wish were still around. The uh, road pinstripes. The road pinstripes? I don't recall. So they weren't around for a super long time, but in the 2000s, the Rockies wore uh, gray uniforms with purple pinstripes on the road, Mm -hmm. and I really, really liked those. And then from 93 to 95, we had a solid black alternate with uh, purple numbering with white outlines, and... Uh, apparently Don Baylor, the manager at the time, really didn't like those, well, so he almost never wore them. But I'm a big fan of those ones. I love the Rockies incorporating purple. I know that like the Diamondbacks have that for a hot second, but I think the Rockies really made it their own. And I love any time that the Rockies incorporate purple into their gear, I really do think it always looks good. Uh, I mean, we did it first anyway. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I think I think the Rockies shade of purple specifically is so awesome. Cool beans. Well, before I mess up anybody else's name, uh, let's get on to our actual business of the day. Uh, as always, everyone, let us know what your uh, favorite Jersey and Rockies history is and what your MLB number would be. Get at us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, give us your take on that. So uh, we got some business to get into. Obviously, we are recording on a Friday, the first Friday of our new month of September, our probably final month of baseball, unless a miracle happens, uh, of baseball this year which is a bit of a bummer but you know we're happy to be here august just wrapped up and you all know what that means we got to pick our position player and our pitcher for this past month of august so obviously just go ahead and ask my friends here Uh, let's get with evan first who is your position player for the month of august i think i have an idea who it might be but let's just see if you want to give us a dark horse I'd be shocked if this wasn't unanimous, Yeah, but there is no other option than CJ Crone, who was nothing short of fantastic. Named the NL Player of the Month for August, he slashed 387, 463, 828 with 8 doubles and 11 home runs, 34 RBIs, good for best in the league, and home runs, I believe, was second best in the league. He was fantastic in August. Bat was red hot. He's been totally, totally phenomenal. Absolutely. Tough to argue with that, but let's see if Skyler has an argument. Crone size, ready? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it is most definitely CJ Crone for Player of the Month. Uh, not just here on our podcast, which is more important, True. but he was also the Major League or the National League Player of the Month, uh, lesser-known award. <laughs> but 
No, like it, it was just a phenomenal month for him where he was really that driving force for the offense all month. Uh, you know, those 11 home runs, drove in 34, he scored 18 runs. Just phenomenal, and just everything about C.J. Crone uh, at the plate has just been phenomenal, really all season, but specifically in August, where you know, he's able to really replicate some of this production that we saw from Todd yeah. Helton many years ago when he had a fabulous yes. August. So, and to boot, not only has C.J. Crone been doing great at the plate, we haven't talked enough about how phenomenal he's been at first base these last couple months, where he's just making play after play, dazzling mm-hmm. over there, and just a really solid you know, performance over there that really the Rockies have kind of missed ever since Todd Helton left. Yes. Yeah, it, uh, no argument, obviously. C.J. Crone, you know, he was the he was the player of the month for August, uh, as, as Skyler mentioned for MLB. Led the league in home runs, RBIs, uh, weighted runs created plus, OPS. I mean, you name the stat, he pretty much was either the leader or in the top, you know, couple players. He's been fantastic. And I'm glad Skyler mentioned specifically because I was going to say this exact same thing. Since Todd Elton retired, there's no one that listens to this podcast that doesn't know that the Rockies have a revolving door of first baseman like the Justin Morneaux and the Mark Reynolds and the Ian Desmonds and the Daniel Murphys. And it really feels like, you know, despite the season not necessarily being a playoff season, it really feels like the Rockies have found at least their immediate answer. C.J. Crone has been such a great player for them that the argument could probably be made that he's been their best overall offensive player this season. Uh, and he has really held down first base well. I mean, Skyler took the words on the mouth. Not since Todd Helton had decided to hang the cleats up have the Rockies found someone that's such a natural fit for their scheme at first base. So to have uh, CJ be such a huge part of this team, especially this unbelievable month of August, it's a, it's really cool to see, and it's something that we can hopefully see more of in the next couple of coming years. This one might not be as unanimous. Uh, I'm going to actually go back to Skylar for this one before I go to Evan. Who is y'all's Rockies pitcher for the month of August and why? Oh, man, this is this a, is this a is tough, tough one. Because <laughs> it really comes down to two guys. And, uh, oh, man, I'm trying – I have them both written down, and I'm still mm-hmm. trying to make my choice here. But I think, for the most part, I think I'm going to go with Kyle Freeland again. Uh, just because Kyle Freeland just had a fabulous month, uh, really kind of back to that old-school Kyle Freeland that we saw in yeah. 2018, where he just had this phenomenal month. He went 4-0. Uh, so he finally got some run support, but also just pitching out of his mind. Uh, went 29 innings, but his strikeouts were a lot better this month. He had a what was it a 10.55 strikeouts per nine innings, and so he was getting a lot more strikeouts that month than he really has in the past. And stranding guys on base, and yeah, he gave up a little bit more runs, and you know, specifically the home run. But ultimately, overall, I think Kyle Freeland just had a phenomenal month. Another bounce back from you know, his injury earlier this year. Uh, but just phenomenal commanding the zone. Just doing a really great job and keeping the team in ball games and getting things done. Unfortunately, his hip was hurting him a little bit, but it seems like yeah. he's going to be okay. But we'll talk about yes. that in a little bit. But So Kyle Freeland is, is mine, but it is a very tight 
tight race between the other pitcher that maybe one of you see. guys will mention. Let's see if we will. Evan, is it Kyle Freeland or is this, is your pick this mystery second pitcher? Uh, so real quick, I have two honorable mentions um, that we don't talk about frequently enough for our pitcher of the month. And these are guys coming out of the bullpen. Just honorable mentions, uh, Carlos Estevez and mm. Lucas Gilbreth. Uh, Carlos Estevez had 11 appearances for 11 innings and allowed no earned runs. He had 12 strikeouts, only four walks. He was great. He was consistent. And he was exactly what the Rockies needed out of their bullpen in the month of August. And then Lucas Gilbreth in 9.1 innings over nine appearances had an ERA of just .96. He only allowed one earned run. He struck out 11. Uh, he's this rookie who just continues to get better and better the more playing time he gets. They've both been really, really great. So I just wanted to Love give it. a shout out to the both Absolutely. of them out of the bullpen because I feel like the bullpen doesn't get that much recognition during this category. But I'm pretty sure my pitcher of the month is the mystery second player, one Mr. Antonio Sensatela. Sensatela pitched 30 and two-thirds innings in the month of August for an ERA of 2.93, lowest on the team. He gave up no home runs, the only uh, rotation pitcher to do so in the month of August. And his strikeouts actually went up a little bit. He struck out 22 over his five starts in August, which is as many as Herman Marquez did in August. And he only walked six batters. He was really, really good and really, really consistent in August. And honestly, like it's definitely close, but I would say that he did pitch better mm. than Kyle. It is close. And you're both right. I think that's this combination of Freeland and Taylor have both been fantastic. Uh, over the last month, and I don't have a pick. I can't, I, I literally had the same problem that Skyler did. I couldn't pick between the two of them. I thought that both of them pitched very, very, very well. Uh, they were both integral in, you know, the sort of success that the Rockies had in uh, some of the more recent series that they played recently, including one we'll get into here. We'll talk about some recent series they played. But, you know, we talk a lot about the rotation on this podcast. Obviously, we have to, right? It's a, it's a huge part of the Rockies and this new identity they're creating of becoming a pitching team. We mentioned a, a either last show or the show prior, but John Gray talked about how he feels more comfortable pitching at altitude. John Gray is uh, in that same class of Sensatella and of Freeland, these guys who are really changing the narrative of what it means to pitch for the Rockies. And it's not about we're going to bludgeon you to death with you know, scores of 9 to 10, these are now games that the Rockies are winning close because of their great pitching, or they're losing close, right? That happens. That's fine. But yeah, I think that both of them are great. I have to hang my hat on one. I guess I'll say Kyle Freeland, but I do think that both of them were fantastic this past month. It was uh, it was really, really great to see both of them continuing to take steps forward uh, in their, you know, respective young careers. So thanks both for that. I appreciate that very much. Um, let us discuss actually, uh, Kyle Freeland and John Gray specifically. I want to talk about Gray because it looks like Freeland's situation might be a little bit uh, more positive. Both left their most recent starts. Uh, they, uh, were both dealing with some injuries. Uh, Kyle Freeland had, as Skyler mentioned, alluded to a little bit earlier, a bit of a hip situation. He might be okay. Uh, he might be getting ready to trot back out there without, um, losing a start, but it looks like John Gray might be headed for the injured list 
which would effectively end his season. Now, the reason that's important, other than just that in itself, is because, as everybody knows, this is John Gray's walk here. So it is entirely possible that we have now seen the last of John Gray in a Rockies uniform. He has mentioned he wants to come back. We will see if that is a deal that can be struck. But if this is it for John Gray in a Rockies uniform, and I, don't, and I know that that's not a question either of you guys want to really get into, but... What, what do you mean? I mean, what do you, what's your takeaway from this? John Gray could potentially, it is in the stars that he might be finished with the Rockies. Uh, what is your takeaway from, you know, what we've seen from John Gray? Open the floor to whoever wants it. Uh, so Gray hitting the injured list uh, this late in the season really is unfortunate. It is possible that we get him back before the end of the season. But honestly, with only a month left as of today... I really don't think it's worth it to risk his health for bringing him back. So uh, he left his most recent start after two innings with a um, diagnosis of tightness in his pitching Mm -hmm. forearm. Uh, MRI results and everything came back clean, which was great. And he's expected to start throwing some sim stuff, I believe, either today or tomorrow. Um But he had also, um, I've been wondering how long maybe that's been bothering him because he had been on a little bit of a slide in his last couple starts where he wasn't making it through five innings. Um, His control was a little all over the place. And so I'm just wondering if um, maybe that's been bothering him for a little bit and it just sort of reached ahead. But I don't think we've seen the last of John Gray or Zeraki. Both the team and him have made it pretty clear that they want um, to continue this relationship. So it really is just a, we'll have to wait and see, but I don't think it'd be worth it to try and rush him back up for the end of this season. We're not going anywhere and it'd be better for his long-term health to just be done. I think that that's pretty spot on. Skylar, what do you think? Same, same boat or are you trying to get, uh, Gray back this season? I, my gut tells me that he'll be back maybe at least for one more start this season. Uh, just hearing what Bud Black was saying, that uh, he was almost about ready to go because like the next day or so after the injury, threw a bullpen, threw a side session, and felt fine, but then it started to get a little sore right. after he was done. So, But I like said, they don't have to rush him back because, uh, no, like we said, we're not in playoff contention. Uh, that gives an opportunity that – Maybe at some point you can call up you know, Peter Lambert, even Ryan Rollison, one of those guys who can come in and maybe get a start and instead of throwing Chi-Chi Gonzalez back out there. You can give somebody else a shot to just kind of get a start in and get their feet wet. But no, I, I think it's in there just that they want to bring him back out, said maybe at least one more time this season because uh, you don't have to rush him out. But I think with some rest, at least the 10-day rest, maybe even a little bit longer, you can see him back again within the last two weeks of the season or so. Get that start in there and then probably get him signed to an extension by season's end or something like that. But they have options, but I don't, I, from all the context clues and things we can tell, John Gray is probably not going anywhere. He's going to stay in Colorado, which, hey, yeah. that's fine. Yes. We'll take it. I think it's fair to say that we would much rather have him miss the season and come back and be a Rocky next season than any other alternative. So, yeah, from from what we've heard from both front office and from John Gray, it does seem like he's more likely to sign an extension and stay, which is fantastic news for 
everybody, you know, in the Rockies uh, fan community. So looking forward to hopefully that announcement. Uh, one other thing we want to get to with some Rockies news is uh, more just a recap of this past road trip, which was real weird for those that watched it. Very, very odd road trip. They first made a stop in uh, Chicago to take on the, uh, well, I'll be respectful here, but the, uh, let's say, diminished team of the Chicago Cubs following their big fire sale. A loss two of three. The Road Rockies struck again. They lost two of three to a, let's say, not great Cubs team. They then went to the dreaded confines of Dodger Stadium. And when you know it, they took two of three from the now National League West leading Dodgers. Rockies are weird. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of breakdown on this one. I just want your guys' takes from what was a very strange and, if nothing else, uh, engaging road trip. I'll go to you first, Skyler. Yeah, it, it's just the, adds to the weirdness of the Rockies season, especially the road Rockies, where you know, they go in and, and we talked a little bit about this last episode where they could have easily taken more of those games from the Cubs, but we kind of blew it with the bullpen later on. And then, but we're able to salvage one out of three against them, which we probably could have taken more. But then you go to the, the team that is currently in first place in the National League West, go and then just dominate them for two or three, where including a shutout, which that never happens. When do the Rockies ever Seriously. shut out the Dodgers in Los Angeles? And so do that, and that's an exciting time. I'm going to take out the evil empire for a couple of games. But then go to Texas, who you know, even has has had even more of a horrible season this year. A lot of struggles, and you know, guys that are hitting a buck 68 or something like that are just teeing off against the Rockies and gave up a bunch of home runs and just struggling. We're able to just barely salvage a game out of that. And so just this weird dynamic of doing, having a pretty rough time against bad teams, but then having a really good time against a really good team. It's, it was just weird, but there was a lot of fun. That offense didn't quit a lot of the time. So that was nice to see those road Rockies bats are really been getting better little little steps little adjustments right so it was really weird because something i've brought up previously is that the rockies actually have a pretty solid record against teams who are playing over 500 uh at 34 and 50 so we've had a fairly stacked schedule unfortunately for teams that are playing over 500 but the fact that we went into Dodger Stadium and took two of three, one of which in especially mm-hmm. dominant fashion, where they threw in a position player at the end of the game because they just were done, basically. But then lost two of three to the Cubs. And especially that series against the Rangers was so weird because it was definitely, especially for games one and two, live or die by the long ball where both teams were mostly just hitting solo home runs. We lose the first two games with identical scores of 4-3. to three. Uh, We give up two home runs to Leody Tavares, who had been struggling immensely yes. before that series. And it's a, it's a very young Rangers team. They have the youngest average age in baseball right now because, you know, they're in the middle of a rebuild, and 
they've got one of the worst records in baseball, but we just didn't do well against them. And then in the finale, we came tearing out to a victory, but a lot of it was because of a absolutely insane error-filled last couple innings for the Rangers. So it was just a really, really weird, <laughs> weird road series. Yeah. Well, the thing that always gets me too is when guys like we face a starting pitcher that's making his major league debut. Oh, and then he throws five innings allowing just one hit. <laughs> literally, literally. So like, yeah, it, that's those are the outings that always get me that are just frustrating to watch. Where no, you'd like to think that your offense could come out and just start railing, welcoming this kid to the big leagues. No, he's just going to come out and spin a mm-hmm. five-inning shutout against you. Yeah, man. Like, it's like it's crazy because there's so many instances of that. You know what I mean? It's so brutal. By the way, I should have said this at the – That and Jordan Lyles. I was going to say literally, literally yes. The same exact thing I was going to say was Jordan Lyles, man. Uh, you know, Rocky's legend, Jordan Lyles, who comes out there and looks like Cy Young reborn, throwing, uh, you know, unhittable sliders and fastballs to the Rockies hitters, man. Always, always fun. If nothing else, these uh, these road Rockies teams. By the way, I should have said this at the start. Apologize uh, for any of my sniffling over here, man. I'm fighting a little something. I know Evan's got something going on too. So this is the uh, this is the version of this podcast where you can definitely place the time of year when we're recording. One last thing I want to yeah, get into. We're gonna do our best to edit out all the sniffles. No, no, but... keep it, man. So they know that we're uh, you know really in the trenches, everybody. You know. Uh, all right, last little bit we got to get into here before we take our first break. This is the big story out of MLB this week is this sort of internal strife with the New York Mets organization. Uh, this is a weird one. So those that don't know, the uh, New York Mets have really struggled, especially in the month of August. They were in first place in their division. They no longer are. After going through a really brutal stretch that saw Atlanta take over that lead in the division, the Mets fans actually starting to turn on their team, start booing them at City Field. The Mets players have responded now. They have uh, sort of taken it upon themselves whenever they get a base hit or a big, you know, knock. They thumbs down the crowd in response. There was a release or there was, there was a uh, conversation had where, not to throw them under the bus, but Javier Baez said, you know, we feel disrespected by our fans. So this is sort of a way of saying, hey, you know, kind of throwing it back in their face. The Mets organization released a statement saying that they have no tolerance for things like that. It's sort of a mess right now. Baez has later apologized. They didn't need to offend anybody. The whole thing's real kind of wonky. Uh, we are not a Mets podcast. We are not Mets fans here. But this is a very interesting dynamic. This sort of team versus the, the fans and the office mentality. Start with Evan on this one. What is your takeaway from this? I guess, like, is there any relationship that can be salvaged? Uh, is this a bad look? Is this a worse look for the Mets players or for the Mets office? Just anything you got in this very, very strange situation in New York. Well, the Mets are a special kind of train wreck anyway. And I was joking that it's funny that at least in all the craziness, we can still laugh at the Mets for how dysfunctional they are. Because in terms of the booing stuff, I think it's a two-way street because fans are absolutely in their right to boo their team. I don't always agree with booing the home team, but, you know, the way I was talking about it, the way my roommate stated it that I really liked was by buying tickets, 
it is a contract that you are there to, you know, voice your opinion with either cheers or boos of the team. And the team has been doing really poorly. And so, of course, the fans are going to boo because they went from being in first place to potentially right. missing the playoffs. At the same time, I don't think the fans can reasonably be upset for the players sort of clapping back because I feel like it's a, hey, don't dish it if you can't take it kind of situation. And then I think the front office handled it in exactly the wrong way by coming out and just immediately throwing all the players under the bus. And it was just really not a good look for anybody involved. And then the Mets have been sliding downhill worse and worse with their interim general manager being arrested and suspended yeah, for yeah. a DUI and them appointing, uh, it sounds like it's going to be Sandy Alderson's son as the new interim GM, which, you know, nepotism is always so great and gets you real far. So the Mets are kind of a an interesting train wreck to watch right now. That's just they my are. take on the whole thing. Interesting is a very nice way of putting it. Um yeah. What do you got, Skylar? Oh, uh, just it's just funny. <laughs> it's all just funny it's, to me. It is just funny. Uh, Cuz no, those fans, those poor Mets fans have suffered so much. And <laughs> you know, they had such high hopes for this season. You now you get a new you get one of the the new richest GM and mm-hmm. ba- or the owner in baseball. Basically, he makes all these moves, you no know, seemingly all the right moves to boost your team. And it's still just crumbling around you. And those fans, just how they are over in New York, I guess, just immediately turn on those players. And, you know, here's Javi Baez coming over from the Cubs, who are, you know, no matter what they do, those fans still love the Cubs. And so he's come to this new environment where he's getting booed and stuff. So uh, it's just funny. You know, they probably shouldn't have tried to clap back at the fans or been a little bit more subtle about it. No, he didn't need... Javi Baez didn't need to straight out come out and right. say what they were doing. You no, know, like, oh, this is directed towards the fans. Like, they could have been doing something yes. and just never commented on it, and everything would have been just fine. You no, know, just this fun little thing. But instead, it got blown out because they talk about, like, as a player, you should never throw your fans under the bus. No matter who you are or who you're playing for, never throw your fans under the bus. You no, know, because. Those people are basically paying your salary in a way. And so you know, they're there for you and they're your home fans. Never turn on your fans as a player. And fans, yes, they can boo their uh, disapproval and everything to the to the players, but also yep. don't go overboard with it. You know, Because if a guy is currently in a slump, you booing him is not going to help him get better and everything. So it's trying to find that balance. Of as a fan, you can cheer and boo. You have that ability to do so. No, but still support your guys because yeah, they're playing for I your think team. that that's a really good point. I I don't like home teams being booed by home fans, and you guys both said it. Yeah, the fans are you know within their rights to do whatever they want to do. That's fine, but I think it's really important. You mentioned Skyler. Like if the team is struggling, booing them will not make them play better. It won't motivate them to try and like turn that around. But at the same time, I also think you nailed what you said. Like, you didn't have to say, yeah, this is a, this is a clap back at the fans. I think, you know, you're right. Like, you can do whatever you want to do on the baseball field. Like, like, if they had just done the thumbs down and that had been the end of it, we aren't having this conversation, right? 
Like, we don't know what that's about. That could just be some little goofy. It's like when uh, the Cardinals a couple years ago were doing the chili thing. We don't know what that means. It's fine. Like, whatever. Just doing a silly little hand gesture. Who cares? But I think when you come out and you say this is for the fans, or this is, I guess, in this case, against the fans, that is when you muddy the waters pretty bad, and it becomes very hard to defend that sort of behavior, which isn't necessarily fair, and I get that. But, yeah, I, I think it is unfortunate, and it is kind of like from the outside looking in kind of like funny in a way where it's just like, man, like that is a dysfunctional situation right now. It brings into question Javier Baez's potential future with that team. Uh, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's rough times being a Mets fan. Who would have thought that the, that the start of the season, that it honestly might be harder to be a Mets fan at a certain point in the season that would be to be a Rockies fan. And yet that's where we find ourselves. So uh, yeah. Shouts to all our Mets listeners out there if you guys are listening because you guys are going through it. Uh, good deal. Let's go ahead and get this first half wrapped up with. We're going to take a quick little ad break. And then it's a mailbag section. You guys were all awesome. Sent in some great questions we're going to get to here in just a moment. Stick with us through the break and let's see what you guys have to say. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we are back. Appreciate you sticking with us through the break. It's time for the moment y'all have been waiting for. It's mailbag time. I want to just thank again. I know I've said a bunch of times already, but I appreciate everybody who sent us in questions. Really, really great getting that kind of engagement. This will not be the last time we do this. We would like to do more of these. So just, uh, you know, keep sending questions, man. Let's get right into it. So on Twitter, at Mr. T Spanish says, uh, what are the group's thoughts on possible coaching changes for bullpen and for hitting? Any changes you got, either of you guys would like to see made this offseason? Uh, I have been a proponent of for large portions of the coaching staff, it's time to clean house. Um, especially I think, think so. hitting coach Dave Magadan, it's, um, it's time for him to go, especially with mm-hmm. the Rockies offensive struggles, particularly on the road. Um, he's a great guy, but just coaching wise, I don't think he's up to snuff. I think we need a serious upgrade in that department. As for, uh, pitching coaches, um, I think Steve Foster needs to uh, – we need to make a change from him as well because it's just mm-hmm. such a mixed bag all the time. Where, like The rotation is great, but the bullpen is terrible. And then the bullpen is having to pick up the slack because the rotation is hitting a wall. And I really think a large portion of the coaches need to – maybe be cleaned house. I don't know if that happens until after the end of Bud Black's tenure and which is uh through the next season. Yeah, but at some point I think uh at the end of this year hitting coach needs to change at the very least. Sure. Sure. How about you, Skylar? Hitting coach, anybody else? Uh well, as my brother who sent in this question, so nepotism <laughs> is alive. <Spoilers. laughs> but uh no, this is something he and I talk about at length a lot too, is you know, just like Evan was saying, definitely a hitting coach. Uh, they they still need to figure out a hitting coach that can really help propel this team forward. 
Yeah. Uh, Dave Magadan just hasn't really impressed with the way the offense has been uh, these last couple of years. Uh, it's kind of been a mixed bag, but mostly it's been you know, what's propelled the Rockies these last couple of years has been starting pitching. And the offense has kind of left a lot to be desired. Yes. Where they'll have a game where they just blow up, but then they'll go three games where they can't hit the broadside of a barn. And so I, I think specifically, you know, a team like the Dodgers, look at their hitting coach team that they have. They don't just have one guy. They have, like, this whole team of hitting coaches that are helping these separate guys. So the Rockies might need to expand out like that where you maybe have a specific group that's your focus is to help guys at home. This other group, you guys are specifically to help guys on the road. You know, and part of me would love to see – you know, a former Rocky come back in some form. You know, so who you got in mind? Uh, I don't know. A dream one. Matt Holiday, I think, would be huh. a fantastic hitting coach. Uh, he's doing a lot down at Oklahoma State with his brother. You know, he could be a guy that could come be a great hitting coach, you know, help guys at home, and then maybe you get somebody else. And somebody We just need somebody that's also analytically minded. Sure, and we'll, sure. No, not so much old school, but somebody who can come in and really utilize both aspects of it and really propel them. And then out well, in the bullpen, Daryl Scott, uh, mm-hmm. he's, the bullpen hasn't been good under his. Just And it's really hard to get a good bullpen coach just because, again, the bullpen's so hard to deal with. Of course. Uh, so, But like I've been saying, I think we need changes at least in those two spots. Uh, base coaches are fine and everything, but specifically that hitting – and bullpen, they really need a shake up. Steve Foster, I'm okay if he stays, but it's it's kind of up in the air. But sure. our base coaches, I love. Um, I think Stu Cole and Ron Gideon are doing fantastic. Nothing needs to change uh-huh. there. Um, okay. I'd be really curious to see about elevating um, Frank Gonzalez, who's the pitching coach down in Hartford, as a um, pitching coach up here on the big league team um from how he worked with steve merriman to improve lucas gilbreth over the uh 2020 and off season um for hitting coaches you brought up matt holiday it's funny you mentioned that because i was also going to say you know who'd be an interesting hitting coach for the rockies is troy tulowitzki that would be wild and then the, the dream one would wild. be Todd Helton, because if he could teach everybody to hit like Todd Helton, then we'd be in business. Yeah. Or Hall yeah, of Famer yeah. Larry Walker. Oh, don't get Evan started, man. I know my man be all about uh, that. Because sometimes that can sort of bite you. Um, Dante Bichette was He's our right. hitting coach for a little bit, and unfortunately it didn't really work out, and he uh, didn't really enjoy his time doing that. Don Baylor returned sure. as the hitting coach in the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. So I think you do need to be selective, but there are some interesting former Rockies who would make interesting, you know, coaching staff additions. Like for the for the bullpen, if he's not returning uh, to big league play because of his blood clots, Scott Oberg I think should be added to the coaching staff. It's a cool idea. Already got the uh, already got the culture and everything. You know, he, he knows the Rockies so well. He was with them last year. He's with them this year. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. I like I like both of those. Matt Holiday's hitting coach, Scott Oberg is the bullpen coach. Yeah, I'll take that. 
on the uh, website, we've got Negative Left School Teacher, which is a great name. Uh, what's the bigger hurdle for the franchise? These management uh, situations we discuss a lot or adjusting to hitting on the home versus the road? So I think for this one, for me, those both actually go hand in hand. Where oh. in order to get over that hurdle of fixing the home and road, you need to address your management. And you know, get that front office and your scouting, everything there in the front office and the management. We're talking about if we can get them in line and get them on the same page and them having a plan of you know, putting together that analytics department and really pouring you know, resources into that to improve your team on the field, that goes a long way to overcome that hurdle of that drastic home road split. So, sure. you know, fix that management. I like that. Uh, what'd you say, Evan? Same thing? I absolutely agree. Nice. That is not, those are not two individual issues. That is one complete issue because, and I've talked about it a million times on this show and I've talked about it a million times everywhere else. A front office needs to futurize and adapt to the modern game of baseball. And that is how you adjust hitting on home at home versus the road analytics and new approaches and new research and development techniques in a modernized front office. That is what you need. Okay. And then this is a tough one, sort of a sub question to this one. We had a sitting duck on the website, ask any dream baseball executives that you'd like to add in the front office. We kind of talked about the coaching staff a little bit. How many executives do you guys would like to see added? Um, there's a couple like um, maybe Thad Levine of the Minnesota Twins, who did spend some time with the Rockies organization when his career was first getting off. But um, a buddy of mine and I have frequently talked about some folks from the Milwaukee Brewers organization. Um, so their senior vice president and general manager, Matt Arnold, is who I would have wanted to try and hire away you know, last year or a couple of years ago before he was officially named the GM for the Brewers. But he's got some really interesting people underneath um, his supervision. Uh, personally, I like their vice president of baseball operations, Matt Klein. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, there's there's a whole bunch of interesting people underneath uh, Matt Arnold and the Brewers front office that I would want to take a look at. I like that. Skyler, a few podcasts ago, you mentioned the possibility of getting Clint Hurdle back into the organization. You still kind of feeling that, or what, what do you think? I think that's kind of what a lot of like news sources and whatnot are kind of reporting, too, that they'll probably hire Clint Hurdle in some sort of like special advisor role in some way, which, mm-hmm. no, I would actually enjoy having him back. You know, he did have success, have some success here, and you know, he's, he's liked enough here in Colorado that I think he would be just fine. Uh, some other kind of ideas that I had, um, not so much, uh, I don't know specific names, but just from one of those organizations that just really knows what they're doing with the draft and development type of thing or you know, working more on a budget type of thing. So if there's anybody from the Rays organization or like we're saying the Brewers, any of those more successful organizations that, aren't like big spenders like we get with the Dodgers or all those, but just people that come in from a known franchise that knows what it's doing, knows how to find success. 
bring him over and give him that chance to lead a team from scratch. Absolutely. Evan, what do you say about Clint Hurdle? So um, I was having a discussion with someone else about Clint Hurdle, where if we brought him in as like a team president or as a GM, that'd be a disaster. But as like a special advisor or something like that, to be a good branch between the front office and the clubhouse, I think would work out really well where he's well liked in Colorado. He knows how it is on both sides because he's been a player. He's been a manager. He's worked with front offices. I think it would be good as just like a special assistant kind of role for him to sort of help repair the division between those two branches of the team. So I'd be down. So very for much that. like a backup role and not quite like the head spot. Yeah. More like, uh, like how Vinny Castilla is a special assistant in the clubhouse right now. I got you. I like it. Okay. Good deal. I'd be, I'd be down for that. I'm a Clint Hurdle guy. I, and I like that advisory role. A couple questions here from mile high stiff on the website. First being, where does this, I like this question a lot. Where does this starting rotation rank in franchise history? I guess for the purposes of this, let's say it's a combination of, uh, you know, the main guys, right? So your Freelands, Senzas, your Grays, your Marquezes. And then for your fifth, I assume we'll probably all kind of speak to Gomber more than likely. So if that's the crew, where does that, uh, you know, quintet rank in uh, Rockies rotation history? Number one. Assume everyone's healthy, pink. Oh, yeah. This is the best rotation the Rockies ever had. Wow. Just straight up, huh? Um, because we've discussed this before, but the way it frequently worked out in prior seasons is that we would have one or two strong starting pitchers, and then the rest would leave a lot to be desired. There were a couple years where I think we had a very solid starting rotation, um, especially say like 2007, where you had Jeff Francis, Ubaldo Jimenez, Aaron Cook. But I think this current rotation, if it is not right now the best rotation in Rockies history, at least very much has the potential to be, where we've got five very solid guys who are going to go out there and do their thing on a weekly basis. And Mm -hmm. you can normally count on them to have a very strong performance. Erwan Marquez, John Gray, Austin Gomber, Antonio Sensatela, and Kyle Freeland. That, I think ranks among the very best of any rotations that we've ever had. And mm-hmm. you look at the most um, the most common pitching rotation. So if you made a rotation of the guys who started the most in the rotation, you have Aaron Cook, Jorge De La Rosa, John Gray, uh, Jamie Wright, and Jeff Francis. And it's like, even then, that's spread across the entire history of the franchise versus in this one year, we have five guys who are really getting the job done. And I know there've been some struggles in the rotation recently, but I really do think that's just people starting to hit a wall physically and mentally with the season being full length again versus last year. But yeah, this, this is the best Rockies rotation hands down. Dig it. Skylar, are you ready to give them that moniker as well, or not quite yet? Uh, up to this point in time, they are the best. Who okay. knows? Maybe one day it's even better. Uh, but <laughs> but currently, yeah, they're among the top. And like we were saying before, and like we've mentioned it, it's always been that rotation where you maybe have one or two guys that you can 
reliably send out there and you don't have to worry as much. Uh, but nowadays, the Rockies actually have that deep rotation. You don't really worry about sending any of your five guys out there uh, to make a start. Uh, it, and what's nice is the core of this rotation has mostly been healthy over the years. Uh, and mostly this year, too. But this is the year where they've kind of dealt with injuries the most. But, yeah, they're among the tops in franchise history. And it's nice to have at least even even just four deep into a rotation. That's setting you up for a good time. Um, okay. Th- you want to have three or four good starters that are nice and reliable, and that fifth one can you know, sometimes be the wild card. But you know, they're a good rotation right now. It's also a pretty young rotation them. where That's a, ev- a huge everybody's part. under 30. Erman uh, is only 26, as is uh, Sensatela. Kyle's 28. Um, Austin Gomber's 27. And the oldest one is John Gray, who's 29. So they're young, they're talented, and they're reliable. And I think that is just really important. Absolutely. So it could even be said that their best years are yet to come. Entirely fact. possible. Oh, man. Can you imagine it? Awesome with Gabby. Another question from my high stiff. Why is it so hard to build a bullpen at altitude, either by draft or by free agency? Is this related to the coaching staff? Is this going to be more uh, related to just the altitude? What do y'all think? I think it's kind of that combo of altitude and then just that development. Uh, because sometimes the Rockies just have that hard time developing relievers. Uh-huh. Where they just take a starter, you know, he's a starter in double A, and they say, oh, you're going to go be a bullpen guy now. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so they, or they kind of have a guy that whip them back and forth, up and down. No, you're a long reliever. Oh, now you're going to be our middle reliever. Oh, now you're a setup guy. Nope, you're back to a long reliever. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And so they kind of get whipped around. And you know, it's it's hard to pitch when you're kind of used, I guess. Saying it, it's hard to get into that groove. Sometimes when you're coming in, there's guys on base, and there's that lot of pressure. And so sometimes guys just aren't prepped for that. Yeah, and so they make mistakes and their pitch selection and everything. They're not ready to go out of the bullpen. They need to you know, have a little bit of time to warm up in game, and you know, sometimes that's actually to disastrous effect. And before you know it, you're down by six runs. Real quick, who's the best reliever the Rockies have developed internally? Uh, either I guess this year or in their history. Hmm. That is that's a tough question. That's a tough one, right? That's really that's tricky. A, that's, because honestly, when you look at it, there's not a whole lot of consistency in the Rockies bullpen. Um, even looking at um, the most common or frequent names in the bullpen, they're not really names that you particularly think about anymore, expect, except for uh, Brian Fuentes. Um, So Uh Brian Fuentes has the most years, I believe, out of the Rockies bullpen of anybody. And then the other most common names are Steve Reed, uh, Matt Belisle, and Curtis Laskanik. And you look about just how many names bounce back and forth. I honestly don't think we've got a particular guy that is, we developed this guy, and he is... That's our guy. That's the Rockies' newly developed bullpen guy. Almost every one of our major bullpen guys throughout history 
come from other teams originally. We developed very few of them. And ones that we thought were going to be success stories, like uh, Manny Corpus, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. Where Manny Corpus was amazing for like two years. And then everything just went went spiraling down so in 2006 he had an era of 362 in 2007 he had an era of 208 and he was really really important to that playoff run and then it was all downhill from there and i think to the rockies credit they've actually been working very hard on drafting and developing guys specifically for the bullpen or Uh recently when they've been making that conversion uh, they're doing smart conversions of it. Like Lucas Gilbreth was in college mostly a starter, and in the minor leagues up until um, last year was mostly a starter. And they converted him to reliever and got the best out of his abilities. And right now, the Rockies farm system actually has some really solid, interesting bullpen talent. You know, you've got um, Dugan Darnell, you've got Phineas Delbonta Smith, uh, Julian Fernandez, who we just called up who all have some very interesting potential. And so really all I can say about that is like what Skyler said, it's very tough to develop bullpen talent when it's not something you're used to. And I think this is relatively new for the Rockies that they're explicitly going out to develop bullpen talent because it's mostly been focusing on starting pitchers. But the issue with bringing in free agent bullpen guys is that a lot of the guys who are regularly consistent are not necessarily going to want to learn how to play the game at altitude. And in general, the bullpen can be very inconsistent where stats can vary wildly from year to year. So you can bring in guys who look like they might be a sure thing and it's just not going to work out. Hmm. So, yeah... Because uh, you're right, I was just, I was while you were speaking, I was just scanning my brain, and I think you pretty much nailed it. Like, it is a tough one, right? We can't really think of anyone that the Rocks have developed purely as a bullpen arm. Hopefully, we can see something like that in the next couple of years. I know uh, we've got a lot of great young arms down in the minor league system, but sort of like Skyler mentioned, if you are not brought up, if you're not taught pretty quickly and pretty consistently that you are a reliever it's that much harder for, you know, a starter to convert into a bullpen role. Jolie's chassis this year, notwithstanding. Uh, last question we got here uh, before we wrap this thing up from our homie, Justin Wick, uh, Daniel Bard's performance in August. Would it be different if he had been traded at the trade deadline? So Daniel Bard had a very rough month of August, as, uh, you know, most Rock fans are aware. Do you think things would have gone different for him if he had been moved to a different team? I think it's tricky. Because I would say it's got to be maybe 50-50, where it's entirely possible that if he had gone to a different team, they or their coaching staff very quickly nick his mechanical issues in the bud and get him sort of back on track to where they know he can be. Because we've seen it where he's not placing his pitches very well definitely not where you'd want them to be especially keeping that slider high and in the zone very frequently that's a that's a mechanical issue as well as possibly a mental one where 
you know, I this is a guy who is only a few years out from being out of baseball, and it's got to really mess with your head that you had a really good year last year, and then this year you're not pitching to the degree that you know you're able to. And it's really tough to say whether having moved him at the deadline or not would have, you know, fixed his problems. I would say that moving him at the deadline, at least we could have gotten some value uh, for trading him when we're not getting the same amount of value still having them on the team right now just because of how much he struggled during August. But you also want to look and see at what things are going to look like now that he's been moved out of the closing role. So since being moved from the closing role, he has uh, a couple appearances under his belt. But only one of them he's given up runs. And that one was very bad against the Dodgers where he gave up three earned runs. But he's got, you know, three appearances so far where he hasn't walked anybody and he hasn't given up any runs. So I'm really in a wait-and-see mode with Daniel Bard. I want to see how he does the rest of the season as not a closer. Because it could just be that, you know, he can't be the closer anymore being a closer requires a certain mentality and a certain arsenal of skill that maybe he just can't muster right now. And that's totally okay. If he can be productive out of other parts of the bullpen, if he can be productive in the, you know, seventh inning or eighth inning and then lead way to Carlos Estevez or somebody to close out the game. So I don't think necessarily that, being sent to a different team would have fixed all of his issues and he'd necessarily be pitching better. It depends on the team. It depends on the coaching staff and it depends on a multitude of other circumstances. Yeah. I think Arsenal is a good thing too, because, uh, Skylar, I'm sure I'll give, I'll give you a second here in a second, brother. But last month we mentioned how Skylar brought up his arsenal when it comes to left-handed hitters is flat out not working. And you're right. You do have to have, at least above average to very good to elite stuff to be that ninth inning guy. And, I, and I'm, I'm not, you know, hating on him. I love the guy as a person, but one wonders if Dana Bard can hang in that echelon of pitchers anymore. What do you think, Skyler? Yeah, I think you know, presumably if he had gotten traded at the deadline, he wouldn't have been a closer for another team. He would have That's a really you know, good point. been a late inning, seventh, eighth inning type of guy, primarily what he was for the Rockies last year in 2020 where he was mostly pitching in that 7th or 8th inning. And so I think him getting traded to another team, that wouldn't have drastically changed his performance. Uh, It it just depends on what the other teams would have used him for because he was used primarily as our closer this year, and then he would have gotten traded to a team and instead just pitching late innings, which he might have just had some better results and it wouldn't be stinging as much because you wouldn't be seeing him blowing saves, so to speak. And so uh, it, it's it's just interesting where he would be utilized, like we we're talking about. And I, I think depending on the team, he would have been you know, just fine with another team. I think the pitching staff as a whole has just been taking some hits these last this last month, because you know, we saw our starting rotation aside from. Senzatella and Freeland, everybody else really struggled. The bullpen, for the most part, also really struggled. And so, you know, maybe he avoids that swoon or 
it was just a matter of time for him to kind of come back down to earth. Sure. After a phenomenal comeback year in 2020. Well, I mean, hey, even think about for the bullpen, too. We talk about how the starting pitchers are starting to hit a wall because of the workload. And it's the same for relievers as well, where Daniel Bard has pitched twice the innings that he did in 2020. Great point. Uh, where in 2020, Bard pitched uh, 24 and two-thirds innings. And in 2021, he's up to 53 and one-thirds innings. Everybody has pitched so much more than they did Very good point. in Very good point. 2020. And even, you know, other years prior where folks are hitting a wall physically and mentally. It happens, especially. It's a very long season. We've got a month left to go. And we might just need to be shuffling around things and giving people some extra rest and stuff like that. Because it's especially because he's hitting that wall. But even then, uh, Daniel Bard and um, was not even the de facto closer coming into this season. Same with 2020, where the de facto closer was expected to be Scott Oberg. But because of the you know blood clot issues, he hasn't been able to play. And that sort of leaves us to try and figure it out. And, you know, Daniel at least has, he has 20 saves on the season out of 28 opportunities. And that amount of blown saves is, of course, not great. But it is important to think about you know, the the workload physically and mentally. I talk about this in our Thursday rock pile on the website with Austin Gomber specifically is it's incredibly tough to have your workload ramp up this much in between seasons. That's a great point mentioning that the amount of pitching that you're doing is increased, you know, so much more. And hitting a wall after last year's shortened season, that is an excellent call-out. So maybe it is just a straight-up arms-tired thing. Maybe maybe that's what it is for him. But I – yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I think you're right. It's a really hard question to answer just because there's so many variables that go into it. And I think you guys gave as good a breakdown as anybody that could. There's a lot that goes into that, and I think that it is something that I don't think Chancellor Scenery would have been able to really make it that big a difference. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in line with both of y'all. Do you know the last Just, time Daniel Bard pitched over 50 innings before 2021? Oh man. It was years. 2012. 10 years. Ago, That's just about, it's got to cause wear and tear on the arm. It's got to cause, Sarah. you know, physical and mental, just exhaustion and tiredness. It's tough Absolutely. to be a big league pitcher. It's arguably one of the tougher jobs out there. It's like you think about, yeah. You know, what's the most important position in football? Well, it's the quarterback. And, I mean, in for a, a terrible comparison, you know, the pitcher is the quarterback of baseball where they are such an integral, important part of the team. And I'm sort of losing my track here with this analogy, but it, it really <laughs> is just – the amount of physical and mental stress that pitching a full season puts on you. And then you look back at 2020 where you only played 60 games and a lot of pitchers didn't go over a hundred innings, didn't go over 50 innings. Some relievers didn't go over 30 innings. So you just really, really need to look at that in perspective. Absolutely. 
any last minute thoughts on this before we wrap it up? Thank you to everybody who brought in or shared questions and everything. Absolutely. Especially Absolutely. my brother, because I kept badgering him to do it. <laughs> Was that is that the legend Dustin himself? It is. Yeah. Shout Span- out to Dustin. He's a Spanish teacher in Pueblo County. That's my man, man. That's awesome. His, uh, soccer, yeah. his JV soccer team is 3-0. and <laughs> Brother can't lose in life, man. I love that. Uh, yeah, thank you to everybody that sent in questions. We're so appreciative. It's a lot of fun doing stuff like this. This, Like I said at the top, this will not be the last time we do this. Uh, we'd love to do another one of these mailbags, maybe in a, a couple weeks or whatever. But thanks to everyone so much for questions. Thanks for listening. That's going to do us for today. As always, we appreciate every single one of y'all that listens and hits us up online everything. So we'll do a little wrap-up here. Skylar, where can the people find you on Twitter? You can find me at at sideline underscore crowd. Every once in a while, you may be treated to a Rockies meme that I make. <laughs> Excellent. And Evan, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Evan underscore Lang 27. And you can find us at the official Affected by Altitude Twitter, which is at Altitude Effect. I would love to hear from you. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And you can find myself at Cormac Battle Pro, C-O-R-M-A-C Battle Pro. Come talk to me about, you know, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, by the time you listen to this, all out will have happened. So let me know what you thought about CM Punk versus Darby Allen. One last thing before we go, I do just want to bring this up, not to kill the mood or anything, but uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be Monday. Uh, that'll be the first, or the, I guess the second day of Suicide Prevention Week. Uh, this is something that we take very seriously, uh, especially... Uh, personally, myself, uh, recently lost a very important member in the pro wrestling community. That's not what this podcast is about, so we're not going to get too heavily into that. But uh, please understand that everyone that's listening to this, uh, you are important. You're loved. You matter. Please reach out to your friends and family. Talk to people about what they're going through. Uh, we want to make sure we can get the people, you know, the help that they need. So that's all. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening to Effect by Odyssey. We'll catch you all same time, same place next week. Skylar, hit them with it. Farewell. And we're out. Thanks, y'all.